As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. You are now entering Odyssey Station. Please remain seated until docking is complete. Odyssey, dare to wonder. And now, your Chill Pack Hollywood Hour with Dean Haglund and Phil Lairness. Welcome to your Chill Pack Hollywood Hour, Season 2, Episode 94, coming at you from Los Angeles, California. I am Phil Lairness, and coming at us from the environs surrounding Detroit, Michigan, Birmingham, to be precise. It's the Motor City-adjacent madman. It's TV's Dean Haglund. How are you, Dean? I'm fantastic. Why, what could be better than a fall day here the suburban wonderland as the trees change their colors and the sun sets later, earlier. I don't know how that works. We begin with an email uh, to you, Dean. Hello. Oh, it's me. Hello. Found this email address on a random internet search while waiting for a computer to run tests. This <laughs> is how most of our listeners have come to us. I must That's true. Do we listen to this podcast that everybody's talking about, or do I just run computer tests and do random internet searches and see where it lands? You know, like the old spinning the globe and putting my finger down. (laughs) Sorry, I remember that. Anyway, I'll keep this short in case this goes to no one. It, it it both went to me and it went to no one, I think, is really... Anyway, basically, Dean helped shape my whole career choice by his awesome depiction of a hacker on X-Files. Uh, oh. Even have... I'm not quite sure I understand this sentence. Even have the lone gunman on my computer's lock screen, I guess. So it's a, a screen display 
he he has of you guys. Uh, well, hopefully this goes somewhere. Definitely would be awesome to get a lone gunman signed photo. At any rate, if you do get this, thanks for being an awesome actor. Nick Zepatello, owner of Zepp's Computer Services and Zepp's Home Computer Repair in West Dundee, Illinois, 45 minutes outside Chicago. And Dean, apparently he learned from you well because he's got all five-star reviews on Google. I did write back to Nick, let him know that I would let you know about this email. I sent him the link to your store at the Chill Pack Hollywood site so that he could get a signed photo from you. Wow, look how efficient you are. Yes, uh, and uh, and and received a, another really, really nice uh, email back from, from Nick that I will uh, forward to you. Uh, and he might be listening. If he is, Nick, welcome, uh, welcome to the show. But I kind of loved this email because it was just about a guy uh, trying to track you down to, to let you know about the influence that uh, you had on him, the positive impact you had on, on his life. And that's, yeah. that's pretty darn cool. This is really, a, a, in a nutshell to me, why we remember celebrity deaths uh, almost every uh-huh. week, and we'll be doing so at a great extent later in the show, uh, because uh, it's not that we necessarily knew these people, but that they helped us know ourselves. They inspired us in some way, right? And that is why right. we mourn uh, these these famous show business notables. But also why we love doing it again is because we learn things about these people that we never imagined, that, that were so interesting. The way that Nick has learned that you've been doing a podcast longer than you were on The X-Files. Ah. <laughs> uh- I guess that's true, though I still feel, you know, through the cons and everything, that I'm still on the X-Files in some sort of way, even if it's not airing. And it is still airing in reruns, so well, technically, yeah, I'm still on TV. And not just the cons, the pros and the cons. Uh, <laughs> but really, because there was so much time between uh, the bulk of the show and those final two seasons, uh, mm-hmm. the amount of time spanned... Uh, is larger, of course, of course. Right. Um, and we got to watch you grow up on television. <laughs> oh, right. I was such a youth when I started. So, so young. So I would just speak to, to, to Nick and thank him for writing us in the first place, uh, but also say West Dundee, Illinois, there outside Chicago, not far from where you did uh, an X-Files convention a few years back, right? Oh, Schomburg? So it must be. It's in the same general direction. So, uh, you know, watch this space, Nick. You you may be able to to meet Dean in, in person. But also, if you ever get the chance, Nick, uh, to see Dean Hagland perform his one-man improv show, that's, that's something you don't want to miss. <laughs> we have been doing this show a long time, and almost every week, uh, though not this week, 
Uh, <laughs> I restore a classic show at chillpackhollywood.com uh, through our friends at Odyssey Radio, who, of course, uh, you know, air the, the, the new show live each week before making it available as a podcast. Uh, they've been kind enough to uh, host our classic shows as well, and we make them available at chillpackhollywood.com, C-H-I-L-L-P-A-K, hollywood.com. Uh, a couple weeks back, episode number 537, got got restored you had returned to sydney australia from an la visit and i had just returned from the magic castle at which point (laughs) you immediately just leap in with that's my favorite place (laughs) and and i said really and you thought about it and said "Mm, third favorite (laughs) and the weird thing is i don't think i followed up oh so dean uh, to put you on the spot, I would like to ask you right now, what are your three favorite places? <laughs> wow. I'm going to put Magic Castle third. I'm going to put, well, then it's a toss-up between the Los Angeles Theater in downtown Los Angeles or oh. the newly restored Tower Theater that Apple did a fantastic job on, I must say. If you haven't been to Broadway and 8th Street to see the new Apple Store, that is a loving lovingly restored uh, 1926 movie house uh do yourself a favor go see that this plug so, for an apple store has been brought to you I by <laughs> by zepps computer services and zepps home computer repair because when you go to the uh, uh apple store and they're not able at the genius bar to fix your computer you need zepps give dick a call that's right. All right. So so number two uh, is a computer store. This is really getting bleak. Uh, number well, three. No, it says Charles Leeds. Number you know, three. My hour-long talk I have about that architect and his relationship to Charlie Chaplin and the fascinating story of those two theaters. You've seen it. I can go on and on about it. And I often do at parties to the chagrin of everyone around me. So number so, three, a, a performance venue, a private venue for magicians and their friends the Magic Castle, number two, a computer store owned and operated by our friend Tim Apple, and <laughs> the Dean Hagland's number one favorite place anywhere in the world. Well, okay, so there's this really cool bar in Milwaukee. Can't even remember what it's called now. Agent. It's it's like a spy bar, a bar for spies. And uh, I'm a VIP member. I think I still am. And there's an entrance. Uh, on the on the street side, it has normally an uh, an alley entrance for non-members, but on the uh, on for members only, you can enter through a fake deli and be taken into the meat locker, which is actually an elevator that takes you to the third story of this bar, and then you come from the top down, and uh, it has all sorts of cool, fun, fun little features like that. Uh, so- How have you? First of all, when you started this and said bar in Milwaukee. I naturally thought you were uh, just being an a-hole and pulling my leg. Uh, And then upon describing it, I realized, no, this should be my favorite place, too. I have only been to Milwaukee once uh, with Lily, and my my story is every bit as mysterious as yours. We ate at a restaurant. I don't know the restaurant. Uh, Lil ordered some some food, uh, you know, her meal, and it came with rice. And she asked the waitress, uh, "What kind of rice is it? Uh, brown rice?" And the uh, and the waitress said, "No, no, just just plain yellow rice." 
Uh, which to this day baffles me. All right, I've got to do a, a deep dive into this secret agent bar of which you were a member. It's been a long time since I have been there, so I may have lost my membership privileges. Yes, so nineties. So Nick, uh, if you're going to be leaving from uh, <laughs> Illinois, there, West Dundee, uh, forty-five minutes outside Chicago, taking a road trip. Uh, to Milwaukee, don't think that you can drop Dean Haglund's name like an anvil uh, and you'll be treated uh, any differently than you would ordinarily at this secret agent bar. What's it called? It's called the safe house. That's what it's called. Wow. Okay. Safe uh, house. Yeah, you got to check it out. I do indeed. I do indeed. So uh, last uh, night, uh, the Emmy Awards took place, honoring oh, the yeah. uh, the best in television over the past year. We really uh, possibly have a lot to discuss about it. Jillian uh, Anderson winning a much-deserved Emmy, looking more beautiful than she ever has, and just so relaxed. Just, uh, you know, she's 53. I want to be her when I grow up. And what a weird way to learn. But again, if you've been listening to the last shows, you know this has been kind of my life. To learn that another former collaborator, colleague of mine, uh, I, that uh, made an indelible contribution to Carl Rove, I Love You, uh, to find out that he died by watching the In Memoriam section. Was oh, no. uh, yeah was was some so a lot to talk about, uh, including the television, the new television we're watching, what we should be watching, what we think we should be watching, and the furor over Ted Lasso season two. We'll discuss all this next week. We'll give it a little no. bit of 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 time and a a measured, thoughtful consideration of uh, the Emmy Awards. Uh, for your consideration. For, exactly. Exactly. Uh, but I, we have so much to talk about when it comes to movies and to celebrity deaths. And I'm going to start, Dean, with the fact that for the first time ever, I saw uh, one of the classics featuring an actor you told me was not only one of your favorites, but an actor <laughs> whose work comforts you. And that's Buster Keaton. Right. And last night, yeah. in person... Uh, with live accompaniment uh, in the historic neighborhood of Whitley Heights there atop Hollywood, I saw a Silence Under the Stars presentation produced by our friend John Girodo of Buster Keaton in Steamboat Bill Jr. Uh, so great. So great, that movie. So what do you think? Let's start there. Your first time seeing this thing. Is that correct? Yes. And uh, I would say it's my least favorite of the Keatons, the Keaton wow. features that, that I've seen, because I find the wind up to be sort of the least compelling of them. Uh, I also uh, thought it was interesting that, you know, he had no hand in the direction of this, though I'm sure he, you know, was responsible and behind, uh, you know, so much of it. But boy, when you get to the the classic Storm set piece, and there are many fun bits before then, but for a movie called Steamboat Bill Jr., man, it takes a long time, dry docked, before we get him even on the boat. Um, yeah, right. So it's just a, a bit of heavy lifting that feels heavier to me than so much of the seemingly effortless narrative flow of earlier films of his. Yeah. 
Um, yeah, so, yeah. so that's that's how I felt about it. But is it every bit a classic? Of course. Is it hilarious? Yes. Is it jaw dropping? Oh, amazingly so. And this storm sequence with uh, perhaps his most famous stunt. Uh, I kind of don't want to give the stunt away, but it's a, a a stunt that would be recreated by Jackie Chan in Project A Part Two. Uh, Jackie yeah. Chan, you know, becomes one of the the great action stars around the world, even before he's really well known here in America. But the truth is, of course, he was emulating the silent stars, not the action stars of the age. So its its influence is is well known. Uh, influence also on uh, how about animation? I mean, uh, it inspires uh, the creation of the first uh, movie to star somebody known as Mickey Mouse with uh, Steamboat Willie. Steamboat Willie. But even though this movie uh, that I'm about to mention was based on a book, and therefore this part of the narrative I'm pretty sure was in the book, I couldn't watch this storm sequence without thinking, by gosh, this influenced uh, Wizard of Oz. Oh, yeah. That they, because this was so the beginning of, you know, what what do we use to create a storm? And I think they just used biplane uh, propellers, right? You just lined up a couple of airplanes off camera, started up the engines, and in that wash you threw dust and leaves and stuff. And then the actor just, you know, suffered, (laughs) suffered being behind a couple of airplanes ready for takeoff. They're probably saying, how are we going to land a house on someone? Hey, have you, do you guys remember uh, Steamboat Bill Jr.? It's only (laughs) 10 years ago. Let's, let's run a print of that. Oh yeah. They showed us exactly how to do this, how to land a building on an actor. Um, And that's not even the great stunt that I'm, talking about the famous stuff that i'm talking about uh so uh anyway just fun and and again with a group outdoors masked distance uh perfectly safe uh if comedy is ever safe dean um (laughs) anyway so that so i thought about you i also saw another of uh your favorite actors if i'm remembering correctly i uh i watched uh one of my favorite all-time actors in one of my favorite all-time mysteries uh sean connery in the name of the rose Oh, yeah. Uh, this is a film I had not seen in many years. His performance is so delightful. And it's it's amazing to think back and realize that Columbia Pictures pulled the financing on The Name of the Rose, which was an adaptation of as popular a book as you could possibly imagine, a, a mystery film. And uh, um, because uh, they had gotten Sean Connery to say yes, and so they said, okay, we're out. That at that point in his career, he was in such a slump that he was thought of as box office poison. Uh, indeed, Name of the Rose would not do well in America, but it would be a big hit everywhere else. He would get a BAFTA, at least nomination for Best Actor. Uh, and uh, one year after that, uh, a little thing called The Untouchables comes out. Oh, uh, right. And, uh, oh, my gosh. And he Didn't was, realize those two were so close together. He was a big, uh, big draw uh, after that. I remember when uh, Name of the Rose came out and, uh, oh, man, I, I can't, suddenly can't remember the name of the magazine. It was one of the classic magazines of the age for real film study. But anyway, <laughs> I, I remember on this magazine, uh, it featured Sean Connery. And uh, it's just one of the great descriptions ever. They referred to Connery. And it was a nod of the cap, obviously, to one of his 
classic earlier roles, but it it referred to Sean Connery as the man who would be king of Hollywood like no one since Clark Gable. Wow. And that's uh, quite a moniker. Yeah, and honestly, that you know, I don't really like often the comparisons of so and so is the new so and so, right? <laughs> but yeah. uh but Connery as sort of that modern day Clark Gable made a lot of sense. And indeed, Man Who Would Be King was originally, I believe, written for Clark Gable to play one of the leads in. And of course, the cast evolved over the many years, decades that uh, John Huston tried to get that film made and eventually would be played by Sean Connery. And again, to me, that that checks out. But uh, when I'm talking about mystery films, especially mystery films of the 80s, uh, I can't not think about Peter Ustinov as Hercule Poirot. Uh, well. We we all uh, talk about how, of course, Sean Connery is James Bond. He earned that moniker. But many of us grew up on Roger Moore as right. uh, James Bond. So even though we, we have matured and learned to appreciate that Sean Connery was his superior as James Bond, those movies were the superior as James Bond, so too did some of us grow up thinking of Hercule Poirot as Peter Ustinov. Right. Uh, and uh, he, he was almost the Roger Moore to Albert Finney's Sean Connery in some ways, <laughs> if, you, if you think about that. But... Wow. I watched one of my one of my all time favorite Peter Ustinov films for the first time since AP English back in high school. Uh, his adaptation of Herman Melville's Billy Budd. Oh, right! I had not. My gosh, when's the last time I saw that? And Where did you find that? You know what's amazing? Uh, I had recorded it four years ago off TCM, and it holds up so well. Such a beautiful adaptation. Weird to think that 80 years after Melville wrote it, the finished, published version of that story, Billy Budd, came out the same year as the movie adaptation because he died and there was much furor over how to finish it, what the proper finished version was, etc. And it wasn't until his notes were discovered and released that they were able to do that some 80 years after he first wrote it and to coincide with the release of the movie. Um, but in some ways, man, it, it was so indelible that I remembered it quite well 36 years later, 35 years later, though I did not remember the the lead role, one of the lead roles, not the titular role, was played by Robert Ryan, the great Robert Ryan. Because oh. when I first saw it, I really knew not who Robert Ryan was. And it's only uh, as I continue to age that I continue to appreciate Robert Ryan more and more and more because he specialized in playing such flawed, fundamentally weak, albeit tough, men on screen. Which, right. of course, meant he never was going to become an A-list box office draw. But boy, the the great movies that he's in, in a wide uh, array of, uh, you know, genres, uh, you know, you're talking Dirty Dozen, you're talking uh, Wild Bunch, you're talking Bad Day at Black Rock, you're talking film right. noirs. Uh, boy, that was that was super cool. But man, if you haven't watched it in a while... Uh, Peter Ustinov directs it, he adapted it, he produced it, but his performance in that as the captain of the ship is a masterclass in subtlety. Yeah, 
Well, that was his thing. His comedy was so subtle. Uh, I recently rewatched uh, Humphrey Bogart, Aldo Ray, and Peter Ustinov in We're No Angels. Indeed. There's three criminals hiding out in a store. Oh, my gosh. And, uh, you know, uh, Peter Ustinov's just delicate. I mean, these just delicate comedic timing moments is unbelievable. And mixes so well with Humphrey Bogart's, you know, stoic, uh, you know, often mimicked delivery. So this thing, you, you do, if you're talking comedy and you want to see amazing, uh, subtle work, I'm, I'm going to say that's my choice, too. If you want to see the opposite of subtle, uh, impressive comedy work uh, from a character actor, uh, I give you Tony Randall. And uh, not that Tony Randall couldn't be uh, subtle and not that we don't all love Tony Randall, but I bring this up because I recently came across, speaking of Hercule Poirot, an Hercule Poirot film that predates Albert Finney's uh, Murder on the Orient Express and Peter Ustinov's uh, oeuvre as Poirot. It was The Alphabet Murders in 1965 starring Tony Randall as Hercule wow. Poirot. This thing, Dean, is jaw-dropping. Somebody got the idea of approaching Hercule Poirot as if he was Inspector Clouseau because oh, the Pink sure. Panther movies were very popular at the time. And right. so Frank Tashlin, who had kind of given Tony Randall his uh, big screen career. I think Frank Tashlin directed Will Success Spoil Rock Hunter, for example, almost right. uh, 10 years earlier, eight years earlier. And just like Will Success Spoil Rock Hunter, the movie begins with Tony Randall as Tony Randall setting it up before dropping into character. Like that was a shtick for Tony Randall. Uh, but boy, everything you think of when you think of Hercule Poirot, uh, don't, yeah. don't expect that. In this, um, but if you ever wanted to see him bowling with both hands at the same time, what? Yeah, then you'll then you'll get this. Boy, it's uh, what an odd duck that movie. Alphabet, is. Alphabet murders. Alphabet murders. I think isn't it? It's based on A B A B and C or the A B and C murders. That was the name of the book. Oh, okay. Anyway, I have to look at this. I do want to talk about uh, comedians and comedy movies, uh, but I but I would be remiss if I did not try to turn people on to two movies that were released last year, 2020. I'm still catching up on the best of 2020, even as I try to catch up on the new releases of 2021. And uh, there was a drama that uh, made everybody's top 10 list. It was uh, an indie film called Never Rarely, Sometimes, Always. Uh, oh, what, yes. what, what, a, what an oddly poetic title. You're listening to Odyssey. MGM presents... That's me. MGM presents me as... The Belgian Never Rarely, Sometimes Always is an indie film from Eliza Hitman. There is no more relevant film from last year to right now than this film. It is about a teenager 
who uh, finds herself pregnant and uh, wants to have an abortion, uh, which is not legal for her to do in her state. So she and her cousin travel to New York City for it to happen. And uh, it really takes, uh, I believe, um, no moral or political stance on this. It just oh. depicts one girl's story and how harrowing it is. And, uh, you know, it does what I, I wish more movies would do, as, as you know. It tells a character's story. And perhaps by telling that character's story, it might, uh, you know, change slightly uh, the way people feel or think about a certain topic. It might open them to other possibilities. It certainly will open them to greater empathy, which is going to be required if we're ever going to talk about the most contentious issues we face. Right. Okay. So So I'm going to see this thing. It really is. uh, It really is a a spectacular piece of work. And the acting is so underplayed and and so subtle. The whole film is wonderfully uh, underplayed, subtle and and restrained. Uh, So from one of the best films of 2020 to a documentary that uh, became only the second film ever to be nominated at the Oscars for both Best Documentary Feature and Best what we now call international film, what we used to call foreign language film. It's from Romania. It's a documentary called Collective. And its title refers back to the uh, Collective nightclub fire there in Romania back in, I think, 2015. And how almost all the victims of that fire died in hospitals, but not because of complications from the fire, but because of infections that they got at the various hospitals. What? Um, And it was this horrible story about how corruption had led there to be rampant infection in every one of the hundreds of hospitals in Romania. It was a conspiracy of business, of just corrupt political and financial business practice uh, that was uncovered and exposed by the leading sports newspaper in uh, Romania, a, uh, a sports journal that had developed the reputation for uh, exposing corruption um, and and which probably was powerful because they ordinarily just dealt with sports, right? This documentarian uh, that that made this film, Alexander Nanau, has such access that while it's going on, he has access to the journalists who are following the case and to the young uh, minister of health who's installed to try to clean up the corruption. Uh, that is imperiling the lives of anyone who gets sick for any reason in that country. Could there be, again, a more uh, resonant film than when we're uh, dealing with a pandemic? But it's also a film that back then was really, uh, while while the events are being unveiled, uh, even before uh, Brexit and before our elections, but it was really... 
I don't know, it was ringing the alarm for the autocratic movement that was sweeping through uh, supposedly democratized nations. Right. Yes. It's, it's, uh, it's one of the best, 10 best documentaries I've ever seen. It's uh, wow. collective okay. from, from 2019. I'm going to go watch this too. All I got right. so much to watch. You do indeed. Now, uh, I have, as I said, been uh, availing myself of 2021 releases, and I've got three that feature legendary, I think we can say, certainly iconic uh, comedians in lead roles. Okay. Uh, the first of these was uh, an actual comedy, I'm going to call it, about uh, the subject of dementia. It was uh, co-written by... Uh, directed by and stars Billy Crystal, uh, co-stars Tiffany Haddish. It's called yeah. Here Today. Right. And it's a story of a guy who uh, auctions off or uh, an auction, a charity auction. And he's the he's the prize. Lunch with Billy Crystal, basically. Yeah. Isn't that right? Yeah. Although it feels like it's based a little bit more on his co-writer, Alan Zweibel, the great writer who, uh, you know, cut his teeth on Saturday Night Live uh, co-created, you know, created the It's Gary Shandling show, uh, mm -hmm. co-created uh, Curb Your Enthusiasm. Uh, this is a big deal, Alan Zweibel. And uh, indeed, the show business uh, bits, especially behind the scenes of a sketch comedy show and the ageism that runs rampant throughout the industry, these are the pieces that uh, feel real. That that have a verisimilitude, shall right. we say? So, have you seen but, this? You're, no. You're, oh, okay. no, I haven't seen but it. But you know I'm, of I'm it. I'm waiting for the other shoe. I think there's a, a severe criticism about to be launched by you against this movie. Oh, it means well, Dean. The movie means. <laughs> oh dear. Well, the show business stuff has a verisimilitude to it. <laughs> okay. Is that enough for you to spend two hours on a couch with this thing? Uh, I watch it on a plane. <laughs> oh, you know, which, well, that's always a different experience too. Which, yeah, or a plane, or as they used to be called, Dean Haglund's multiplex. <laughs> right. You know, Billy Crystal as a director is not doing Billy Crystal the actor a lot of favors. Oh, you're kidding. He's not giving himself close-up after close-up? Oh, no, that's all he's doing. <laughs> what I mean is you don't do an actor any favor by doing that. <laughs> well, unless you think you're delivering it, but... Uh... I, I feel like the impulse was to make a movie that everybody could get behind so that we could cut through all the anger and the rancor and, and let's all come together and let's find something that we can all find funny together. Um, but... You know, Billy Crystal, I don't know, I feel like he's always, his Achilles heel has always been that he's touched a little bit by the same uh, demon, can we call it, of Jerry Lewis, which oh. is that to be funny has never been enough. Right. It always has to be something more. Yeah. And, and boy, it always really lends itself to schmaltz, doesn't it? It does. I I you know I think about Mr. Saturday Night, that uh, that movie about a the aging showbiz actor, and uh, oh boy, that's that's a lot of schmaltz to get through that one. You, you got to bring a glass of water. 
to watch that one. So it plays when it plays in part because we all do have affection for Billy Crystal. It doesn't play when it doesn't play because we all probably most of us have the same complaints about Billy Crystal. (laughs) Uh, I was worried about that. Another comedian uh, playing a lead role and executive producing the movie in question uh, is Chris Rock, the lead in the latest chapter in the Saw series, a movie called Spiral from the book of Saw. He plays a uh, disgraced and and hated uh, big city detective. Um, who finds himself at the center of an investigation in what seemed to be copycat crimes from the okay. original Jigsaw. And this is not a good film. It it approaches good at times. It approaches interesting at times. Like you want them to close their fist and hit the target because this could really lead into an interesting uh, new uh, avenue within the Saw series, um, and you want it to be good because Chris Rock is really doing good work. Now, right. Chris Rock is a very interesting actor. I <laughs> I think Fargo proved he's a pretty good actor, uh, but he's a great performer. And what Spiral does very well for especially its setup, here's the opposite of a uh, a, a Steamboat Bill Jr. The setup is really fun. Um, Okay. And then it becomes, you know, a a, a victim of needing to move its own plot points. But uh, that setup relies so much on Chris Rock, the performer. And the actor is there with him. The actor, Chris Rock, is there uh, alongside playing a character and doing it pretty well. But the performer is allowed onto the stage, too, and he really is exceptional and makes it worth watching. Really? As opposed to a Fargo where, let's face it, uh, Chris Rock really never got to perform. And so it was interesting seeing the restraint, but we also unfortunately bumped up against the limitations from time to time. Um, so, so I find it to be a, an interesting bad film, um, in that I appreciated, you know, what they were trying to do and I wished it had worked better, but it does show, uh, a range of possibilities for Chris Rock in movies that I don't think we've been allowed to see. Oh, that's pretty good then. And it, it makes sense to me that he would uh, he would executive produce that. Uh, and also, right. uh, by the way, Samuel L. Jackson playing his dad. Uh, how is this not a father son idea anybody had come up with before? I know. Now you just said it out loud. I don't even have to picture it. It's it's already amazing. Finally, perhaps the most perplexing and surprising of all these uh, iconic comedians. Uh, appearances on the big screen this year. It is uh, a film starring Bob Odenkirk, a revenge action comedy thriller called Nobody. Oh, yeah. Uh, I saw this come across my 
my uh, you should view this. This was uh, as big a hit theatrically during the pandemic as the pandemic was going to allow. Uh, Mm -hmm. Very much the same kind of success as the original John Wick was. And, you know, modest budget, under 20 million, making something along the lines of, you know, 60 million, 80 million worldwide. Again, during a pandemic, that's great. And uh, I bring up John Wick uh, because it's produced by uh, the uh, producers of John Wick, written by the the gentleman who wrote all the John Wick movies. Um, It is his belief that it's in the same universe as John Wick, though from a different studio. So although they've talked crossover between the franchises, they'll, they'll probably be crossovers of the Easter egg variety. But uh, Bob Odenkirk as action star uh, is an idea that maybe seems funny, but also seems unlikely to work. It is funny. Right. And oh my goodness, does it work? Because this is an actor, as we know, as we've seen him evolve, especially over the years on Better Call Saul, this guy plays rage uh, better than anybody. It seems unextinguishable. It's dark. It's sharp. And it's exactly what he needs. And apparently... Uh, when Odenkirk came up with the concept for this based on his own experiences with home invasions, um, oh. he he went into two years of training with the very people who trained Keanu Reeves and Charlize Theron for their big screen uh, action bona fides. And uh, he was doing so without the film even being financed. Yes. Oh, you're kidding. Wow. That's having faith and uh, it is uh, it is very cool. Um, I don't want to give anything o- o- away about this, but if you like John Wick, you will like these movies. If you like silent films, I think you will like these movies. Because, again, these are movies that really constantly doff their cap to uh, the work of silent masters, not necessarily what we think of as the modern action masters. Um, right. You know, they, they owe as much to a Buster Keaton as they do to Hong Kong cinema, let's say. And wow. yeah, I don't want to give away, there's so many, so many joys, but if you do like, uh, for example, as I always did, that the setup for a revenge action film in John Wick could be about uh, a dog. A dog, guy's dog. Then, uh, then why not a missing cat bracelet? I would say <laughs> to you, it's a short film which I love. It's like ninety minutes long. Uh, the Excellent. first thirty minutes is so good. The first act is perfect. How much you will enjoy uh, the acts that follow again in <clears throat> depend on your enjoyment of the the genre to a degree. Um, but boy, this is as good as this genre with a lead actor is going to get. And Bob Odenkirk makes the whole thing so worth watching. Wow. Okay. That's, that's got that gold seal stamp of Phil Lairness approval. Nobody is definitely somebody. Yeah. <laughs> Can't you see the blurb? Can't you see it on the poster yeah. right there? Nobody oh is somebody. You should be writing those things. Since you've been reading them. All right. Uh, speaking of uh, iconic comedians, it's uh, time to open the Chill Pack Morgue. Celebrity Deaths. Norm MacDonald, Dean. 
I know. A comedian who anchored Weekend Update on Saturday Night Live for several years in the 1990s, who joined uh, the cast of Saturday Night Live in 93 after already having been a successful sitcom writer on uh, shows like uh, Roseanne. Yeah. Uh, he died at the age of 61 after a decade-long battle with cancer that apparently precious few people knew about. Uh, that's right. And that's his second bout of cancer because I remember uh, hearing he did – he was a Canadian stand-up, of course, and came through um, the clubs that I was working at. So we knew each other. And he had already uh, beaten a cancer uh, long before uh, that. So – this was a, a big shock to hear that he is hiding cancer. He uh, is so identified with uh, his work on Weekend Update. He really br- brought a kind of a new sort of tone and approach to it there on SNL. Of course, he also did uh, quote unquote impressions of celebrities like Quentin Tarantino, Burt Reynolds, Larry King. Think of all the people who actually do know who Burt Reynolds is, but were introduced to who Burt Reynolds is by Norm Macdonald. Right. And his Jeopardy. And uh, and uh, even in the, that series, um, My Name is Earl, where Burt Reynolds dies and Norm comes as his son to claim his inheritance. A hilarious episode, if you ever want to see one. He uh, he had roles in Billy Madison, The People versus Larry Flint, uh, while he was still on the SNL cast. After leaving SNL in 98, he starred in the movie Dirty Work with his uh, hero, Chevy Chase. Mm-hmm. He voiced Lucky the Dog in Dr. Doolittle and several sequels, uh, made appearances in other movies, including A Man on the Moon, Funny People, Grown Ups, and of course on TV, uh, starred in The Norm Show, uh, later renamed mm-hmm. re- Norm. Uh, had recurring roles in the middle, and as you mentioned, my name is Earl, and voice roles on uh, Mike Tyson's Mysteries and Family Guy and the Orville. Um, he he became a host of High Stakes Poker, uh, co-hosted the seventh season, was a judge on the final season of Last Comic Standing. Um, it's always made me laugh. I mean, this is, he, he had such a unique voice and such a unique, uh, not only tone, but delivery style and pace. Mm. And sure. uh, so just utterly unique. And how often can you say that? Um, but, uh, one of my favorite things, Dean is one of the last things he did and it was his Netflix, uh, talk show. Yeah. Where, where it barely seemed like a show uh, at all, really. It was uh, him and uh, his co-host uh, sitting around, and then the guests would walk through the cables, and, and uh, often uh, there would be makeup people on camera. Uh, it was it was a really unique show. Yeah, it, uh, was, him- it, it almost argued against itself as a show in the same way that Letterman's old NBC late night show seemed to argue against itself. Only Letterman's show had huge armies of people putting in a lot of effort to create the appearance that it was a bad show or that they didn't care. Right. This effortlessly seems to create the appearance that it's a bad show and that it doesn't care. It's almost like you're behind the scenes on a podcast, quite frankly. Yeah. Um, Yeah, for sure. And yet, man, was this show so funny and often the interviews really interesting. Oh, yeah, for sure. Uh, him and Jane Fonda, 
And then at spectacular. the end, big, spectacular. Yeah. Just changed everything. How I thought about Jane Fonda, you know, that it always seemed so guarded, but she was hilarious on that. Uh, and then him uh, making David Spade read terrible jokes at the end. And like Spade is not even sure if, if this is really a thing that he's doing. Like he's, He's quite convinced that this whole thing is a prank on him somehow. My favorite episode might have been the one with Judge Judy. Like, how yeah. are they such buddy? And it's clear that Judge Judy adored him. It's <laughs> totally. so weird. It's so weird. And I, I had been hoping that there would be another season. Again, I, I, I didn't know him, but this this, this made me as sad, uh, really, as, as as you would think especially in the wake of another actor I loved, so many people loved. He was finally really getting the renown that his talent deserved. Actor Michael K. Williams, who oh, yeah. uh, I discovered, I didn't discover him, but I mean, I first fell in love with him uh, because of his portrayal of Omar Little, uh, a kind of a low-rent stick-up man on the HBO drama The Wire, a show that I, as you know, binged and watched after it was no longer on the air. And right. uh, what what a soaring talent Michael K. Williams was. Um, I'll, I'll talk about some of the other things he did, but Dean, when he died, it was the first time that I felt uh, what I felt when Philip Seymour Hoffman died, which was, oh. I just felt utterly cheated out of you, all the Michael K. Williams performances that I felt we were promised, that were yet to come. Anyway, uh, Michael K. Williams began his career as a dancer. I didn't uh, know that. He appeared in music videos, uh, toured with musicians like George Michael and Madonna. Uh, a bar fight on his 25th birthday left Williams with a prominent scar on his face a distinction that made him perfect uh, for playing criminals and lowlifes. And that's how he gets his in. Uh, think wow. about that. You know, your, your face is your, is your tool. It's your canvas as an actor. He's got such an obvious obstacle because of this giant scar, but his weakness becomes his strength in certain casting sessions. And then again, his talent can just rise to the top and he can imbue these lowlifes with such shocking and palpable humanity. And then we see the humanity and not the scar. Uh, his b breakout uh, role on The Wire, of course, leads to uh, a starring role in Boardwalk Empire as Albert Chalky White. Uh, and in the recent Lovecraft Country, uh, for which he was uh, Emmy nominated. Uh, he was also Emmy nominated for his performances in Bessie, The Night Of, which is on my cue. The Night Of is something I really uh, want to see. When They See Us, also something I need to catch. Um, he also appeared in movies including Bullet, I Think I Love My Wife, uh, which was a Chris Rock film, 12 Thanks. Years a Slave, The Road, and The Gambler. I hit you with this quote from him. You know, as people of color in Hollywood entertainment, a lot of times we don't pay attention to the fact that we sell trauma. Some of our most wanting work is rooted most of the time in pain and trauma. That uh, quote really just stood out wow. to me when he dies at age 54. 
and it was uh, from an interview last year, 2020, with the magazine Men's Health. Wow. We also uh, said goodbye to uh, a giant of Hollywood's golden age musicals, Jane Powell. She began performing as a young child, uh, steered into it by parents who saw in their daughter the potential to be the next Shirley Temple. Uh, She worked (laughs) in radio and then auditioned for MGM when she was 14 years old and was immediately cast in a starring role in the film Song of the Open Road. And uh, a variety of musical roles followed. Her uh, Powell was typically cast in Girl Next Door kind of roles. Her real breakthrough to stardom was in 1951's Royal Wedding, directed by Stanley oh. Donnan, where she starred opposite Fred Astaire. Right. Big uh, dance, dance numbers. And then in 1954, she plays the female lead in Seven Brides for Seven Brothers, uh, a, a film that achieves the distinction of being one of the most enduringly popular uh, musicals and uh, one of my most hated films. Yeah, I know. I'm going, most popular, not with you, that's for sure. Uh, it looked as though she was headed for real career greatness, superstardom, but the musical uh, Seven Brides uh, proved to be the peak of her career instead, and she only did a few more films thereafter. Uh, oh. In in later years, she toured with productions of musicals, including My Fair Lady and Carousel, and she starred on Broadway in the 1974 revival of Irene. She would do guest starring roles on TV, uh, then on shows like Growing Pains, The Love Boat, Murder, She Wrote, and even Law and Order, SVU. Heartbreaking quote from Jane Powell, referencing oh. back to her days as a child star. She said, uh, my parents had given up so much for me that I had to do this for them. It's something they really wanted. I had wanted to go to high school. That was my utopia. My mother said, well, you can always quit. But once you get into the system, you just don't quit. It was the finances for my family. Wow. She was earning the living for the whole... The whole family. Yeah. Yeah. We also uh, said goodbye to just a a fascinating lady, a groundbreaking writer named Irma Kalish. She was a a, a true pioneer uh, in television as both a producer and a writer for classic sitcoms. She died at the age of 96, Dean. She was one of the first women to work behind the scenes in television when she began her career in the 1950s, working in radio first for the Martin and Lewis show. Wow. uh, Along with her late husband, Austin Kalish, known as Rocky. Uh, And they went on to write together for uh, a lot of TV shows, including My Three Sons, All in the Family, too close for comfort. Uh, among their most memorable achievements was the script for the groundbreaking 1972 mod episode, Mod's Dilemma, focusing wow. on the main character's decision to have an abortion. Right. She worked independently from her husband uh, on such shows as The Facts of Life and 227 and Valerie. So think about that. I mean, this is a woman that's working regularly in TV as a producer and a writer for 50 years and one of the first women to work behind the scenes. Uh, And this is a, a terrific quote. 
I had a personal adage that, sure, God made man before women, but then you always do a first draft before you make a final masterpiece. (laughs) Classic. So I was known as a proponent of women, but to his credit, Rocky was also. He pushed me to get forward and not just be known as Rocky's wife, but to be known as Irma Kalish. Belated spoiler alert. Odyssey. Dare to wonder. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.